Thank, thank you very much, and thanks for being here this morning. And it's a great topic because it affects all of us. And as you've heard, that we all serve on energy and commerce. And one of the things I like to say about this is that one of the great things about it is that we actually look over the horizon, five to ten years, because we're talking to the entrepreneurs and innovators out there in the field. And so it's up to us to make sure that any legislation that's passed is not interfering on that innovation. And a little bit about uh, on the internet things with me is that uh, in the last Congress, Peter Welch and I, we had a uh, bipartisan working group, and we looked at uh, multiple issues. And the issues, you know, we looked at uh, healthcare, to manufacturing, to autos, to uh, you know, agriculture. We looked across the spectrum of how things could change. We heard how many devices. It was kind of interesting. One of the things I remember several years ago in committee, somebody was talking about how many interconnected devices we have across the globe by the end of last year. And the number was 1.6 per person. And this is like, we've blown by that. You know, I mean, we have, if you go out and look where we are today, with the interconnected devices that we have today, you're in the billions, and you've heard that number, so we're looking at it by 2025 where it's gonna be. So it's important that, you know, when we were doing the internet thing, working group, we heard from folks from the West Coast, Silicon Valley, to the East Coast, to the Midwest, Everybody said the same thing. When we're working on these, you know, the big part is, is that we got to make sure that if there's regulations out there, everyone agreed to one thing, that we have soft touch regulations so they can be out there innovating. Because if you all of a sudden you have the federal government coming in and saying, what we're going to tell you that you're going to have, that's not going to work. The other issue is the balance spectrum we're going to have. You know, with 5G coming on, that's another issue. So we look at a lot of different issues in the working group because we want to make sure we went forward with new legislation and, and then the regulations that come from that. And we're out there making sure that the United States is always in the lead. And when you look at the, being in the lead out there, it's just like the, I offered the self-drive act is this Congress. And you know we're, we're looking at the you know, real bad statistics out there. We had 30, the traffic deaths are going up in this country. We had 37,000 last year. We had six million traffic accidents, two million with uh, uh, the uh, people being injured. But at the same time, we had 94% of the accidents were caused by driver error. And so by incorporating and starting into the self-drive, we're gonna do a lot of different things. We had to look at things with safety, cybersecurity, privacy. We wanna make sure that when folks are out there, and a lot of these segments, like my mom, she gave up a driver's license when I turned 16 because of her vision. So folks out there that, that aren't able to get themselves around, they'll have transportation, senior citizens. So there's a whole raft of things out there that can happen because of the internet of things, but it's it's coming and it's things that we can incorporate. But when you look at the devices that are all working together, again, we're gonna have to have a lot more spectrum out there to make sure this all works. So the committee's looking at it, you know, the working group had looked at it, and so we want to go forward. You know, when you talk about driving to work this morning, you know, Columbus, Ohio was the first smart, was awarded the first smart city. So when you incorporate all these different types of devices all together, so you'll have streetlights working with you together. How many cars are on the street? How, you know, should the traffic, should the uh, lights for the, uh, 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 at night be on certain spots? They'll all be interconnected because of the internet of things. So it's, it's a really a, a wonderful area that we're in. And as Jim was talking about, yeah, I'm sure I didn't understand all that stuff about that computer either. <laughs> but but the, where, where we are today is, is that we have that technology, but we want the United States to be the lead. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you. Uh,
<clears throat> Good morning to you all. It's my pleasure to be with you and to the Ripon Society. Uh, thank you for inviting me, Jim. Uh, it's uh, a pleasure to serve on uh, Bob's subcommittee, and he, he does a terrific job. And um, he has pointed out why we have to move in the direction where we are moving. Uh, I point out on uh, the increase in traffic accidents, that's probably due to the fact that uh, people are now engaged in the internet while they're driving and doing so inappropriately. <laughs> and so with each advance comes uh, a step uh, perhaps in the other direction. And, uh, I would imagine that uh, uh, driverless automobiles may to some extent uh, mitigate against the uh, relatively dramatic increase we've seen in, in, in traffic accidents. And um, uh, obviously, we need to make sure that that occurs. Um, I'm also uh, on, on Marsh's subcommittee on telecom. Uh, I have the honor of being the vice chair there. And as you know, uh, Marsha will be uh, uh, leaving the House to, to uh, go to the Senate. I, I make that prediction today. Uh, I do so because I think it's true, number one. And number two, I'm her vice chair. <laughs> <laughs> In, in that order, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and uh, we're obviously involved in all sorts of issues. Uh, I, I'm the sponsor of the Airways Act, and I want to give credit to Cory Gardner and the new senator from New Hampshire, Senator Hassan, whom I don't really know. Uh, they're working on that diligently in, in the other side of the Capitol. And, uh, Mr. Doyle, uh, the ranker, and, and I are working on that on our side. It's incredibly important, uh, 5G. It's also incredibly important for rural America, and that is an underserved uh, area. Uh, the district I have the honor of serving is uh, suburban and uh, completely wired, or wired 99.49%, whatever the purity of ivory soap. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, this is a challenge in rural America, and uh, Airways is designed, at least in part, to uh, sure that that challenge is successfully overcome. Uh, uh, the full committee is a joy because, as, as this distinguished group knows, more legislation reaches the floor of the House from our committee than any other committee, more legislation goes over to the Senate, and more legislation reaches the desk of the President of the United States, whoever the President of the United States is, from the Energy and Commerce Committee. Um, and, um, um, I hope moving forward that we continue in the in the bipartisan tradition. There are uh, debates as to how policy should be achieved. Uh, uh, Chairman Pai was in my office yesterday. <coughs> we obviously believe in um, a light touch on these issues, and that is not necessarily the view of the other side of the aisle. And if the other side of the aisle were to con gain control of either House of the Federal Congress, I place it in the subjunctive voice because I think we will be successful, but if uh, the other side were to gain control, I think there would be much heavier regulation in all of these areas. I do not think that that is desirable. We have been the leader across the globe because of the light touch, and uh, I want to make sure that that continues. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I'd like to thank Jim and the rest of the staff at Ripon for inviting me this morning. I think most of you know, before I was in Congress, I was a health care provider. So the Internet of Things is an exciting 
area for healthcare also. I think though the most the, the thing I'm most excited about is if I'm running low on milk, you know, and my wife has told me to stop and pick some up, it's probably already been ordered by my refrigerator <laughs> and, uh, and delivered to my house. Uh, and that's not a crazy idea, by the way. Uh, this is what the Internet of Things uh, will be doing for all of us. But in healthcare, particularly, you know, making it, uh, getting uh, medical records uh, more portable and, and patients being able to carry their own. Uh, information or transferring their own information and data is, is really important. Integrating medical devices and uh, other healthcare monitoring devices. You know, I have a Fitbit on, but there there's a, a dramatic expansion of what we can monitor, including for diabetic monitoring uh, and uh, output heart out, how much your heart is putting out, uh, blood is, is pumping, and that your doctor can manage literally on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, and these are all things that could potentially be interconnected in the healthcare space. For example, already we have, uh, say, a, say a neonate will have a wristband on that will, that if someone tries to take that person out of the hospital unexpectedly, it, it communicates immediately back to, uh, to the medical people uh, that uh, will prevent that. So uh, there, there's just a multitude of things that I'm excited about on the Internet of Things uh, as it relates to healthcare. And I think we're really uh, at the tip, on the tip of the iceberg here. Um, but I do think, and I agree with uh, both of my colleagues, that whatever we do, we want to make sure uh, that we don't stymie innovation, that we don't hold entrepreneurs back from developing things, and for me in the healthcare space, that could, could make people's lives better. Uh, make their, their quality of life better, uh, and uh, we're at risk for that if uh, if we're not uh, aggressive. And we need input from industry. We need input from all of you about what is appropriate, what is helpful, what are the guidelines that you need. Like on the on the self-driving car, they came to us, right, Bob, and said, "Hey, we we need some we need some guidelines here so that we can uh, we know where things are going to be." And all of a sudden, we get so far down the line in, in an area that we're developing and all of a sudden the federal government comes in and says, by the way, you know, we don't like that and you can't do that and it sets people back. Um, so for me, again, it's, uh, it's about uh, the healthcare space and, uh, and ideas to advance uh, uh, our, our health and well-being and also help us control cost. You know, technology can, can actually, I think, help us control cost in the healthcare space. If we can identify uh, uh, problems that people are having earlier and address them more quickly and in the long run save us, save us money. So thanks for inviting me. Um, so one of the things that I know I always hear our executives talk about is the, the danger about IoT. That if we don't fix the cyber issue, then we won't have the adoption that all the technologists out there see as the promise, you know, so that technology can really help all of us make our lives better. How do you all see cyber playing here? Dr. Michelle? Yeah, I'll be brief. I mean, there's already been, I think, on Homeland, an episode from a medical standpoint where uh, uh, someone's pacemaker was hacked into, turned off, and that person was, uh, person expired yes. because it was an attack 
uh, uh, yes. homeland. I don't think anybody wants homeland, but it's good. Yes. It, it uh, wasn't the vice president now, no, was it? Yeah. I don't know. My point is, I'm trying to make is, your, your point is very well taken. And uh, I'll just speak to the medical space. There are real concerns about cybersecurity and about uh, personal data and, uh, and things like who can, who can interact with medical devices, uh, even Fitbits, who can uh, assess your health or what you're doing in your, in your life and then make judgments based on that, either whether or not you're at a higher insurance risk and so you're, it makes you uninsurable because people get data on you that you don't want them to have. Uh, it, it's a real issue. I think people are trying to address it. And I think Chairman Lotto will probably have uh, quite a bit more to say about that. Well, cyber is everywhere. We're talking about. I served on two cyber security task force, and uh, we've also, in my district, we've done seven uh, cyber events with the FBI. And usually, when I kick them off before the FBI takes over, <laughs> I tell everybody, "Okay, I'm going to sound like I'm paranoid." I said, by the time these guys get done with it, you're all going to be paranoid. <laughs> and uh, usually everybody is to get very, very nervous about things. But again, it's just like when we were looking at the self-drive act, you know, cyber is a huge part of that. You can't have cars being towed by someone else driving them on the road, things like that. You have to have redundancy built in. I mean, redundancy on top of redundancy on redundancy on the cyber stuff. So as uh, the doctor mentioned, that it's very important on the healthcare side, but I mean, it's everywhere. It's, as, as I mentioned, from manufacturing, because again, I have 60,000 manufacturing jobs in my district. I represent the largest farm maple producing district in the state. And so when you're looking at, you know, from everything from being able to use IoT to help in the manufacturing process, you got to make sure that they're not hacked. You look on the financial side, you want people out there to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to do more of my banking online, do more of my banking from my phone. But you're not going to do that if you don't think you have security out there. So usually every place I go when I'm talking with folks, I always like to ask them right off the bat is, what, what, are, you, what are you doing on your cyber site? What, what are you doing to make sure you're protected? Because one of the things that we've also saw to have seen is you have a lot of people in the chain say, you know what, I'm so low on this, no one's ever gonna, no one's gonna hack into us or attack us because we're too low. And I said, I hate to tell you this, you've probably already been hacked because the whole idea is to find the weakest link to get in so you go up the chain. So cyber, cyber is the probably the big issue that we talk about all the time, and so for, to make sure that we can get done what we want to do, that's the topic. Okay. Um, uh, it's incredibly important in, in the sectors that uh, are represented here this morning, uh, but I don't think that the focus in the discussion nationally, or at least with the public, has been here. It's been rather in the national security field and in the election field. Uh, I point out that the new Secretary of State, uh, a friend of ours, Mark, Mark, Mark Mayo, uh, uh, was on the Energy and Commerce Committee uh, when he was in the House of Representatives. And in the uh, biographies that I've seen this week, um, his uh, tenure for more than a year at the CIA has been highlighted. Uh, but from my perspective, uh, uh, first and foremost, he is a veteran of our committee. And so I think this is uh, very good for cyber protection across the board, including those avenues we're discussing here this morning, uh, I, I believe that uh, he will uh, be a very strong voice with the president on uh, cyber uh, across the board, uh, because we've heard him testify on Capitol Hill on his uh, considered views, views with which I agree that uh, there are major international challenges and. Uh, uh, 
I, uh, I hope that the president will uh, heed the very uh, competent and strong advice of his new Secretary of State. Thank you I just so want to add, I think it's important for the private sector to interact with, uh, with uh, in an ongoing way with the federal government as it relates to this issue and how we, from a national security standpoint, as uh, Leonard pointed out, um, so that we can uh, voluntarily help each other um, with these risks. You see that uh, in the Equifax situation where the federal government actually gave them a heads up uh, on, on, a, on a security risk and unfortunately it wasn't acted on fast enough. But I mean, that interaction, I just want to say, is going to be also very important if we're all going to protect all of our companies and, our, and us as individuals. Okay, thank you for that point. That was a wonderful answer to my question. And we, um, we would agree. Um, I, I think one of the things you're hearing industry say is you want to bake in security so that you're seeing it at all levels, whether you're the, the highest person on the totem pole or the lowest, that connection back to the internet. So thank you for your perspective. Um, uh, I have one, one more question before opening it up. Um, I love the fact that you mentioned, you know, Columbus is a leader in smart cities. You know, there was a big competition and the city of Columbus won on smart city infrastructure. Um, you know, obviously that, that rural bandwidth is not an issue in cities like Columbus, but, you know, it is an issue. And we have, I, the last statistic I heard was 10% of the U.S., you know, doesn't have wireless and doesn't have that connection. How can we ensure that rural communities benefit from IoT development as well? Uh, by passing my bill, the airway bill. 10% of proceeds of the auctions required to deploy wireless in underserved areas, um, and the act requires the FCC to study the impact of unlicensed spectrum on rural health care, education, agriculture, and broadband access. And that comes from a sponsor from the most densely populated state in the union, New Jersey. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's a good question because uh, also in the health, we also have a uh, rural, the rural caucus that we have in the uh, energy. I'm caucus. not a member of that caucus. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, we'll, we'll make it honorary. Thank you. Okay. Well, well, you're always welcome. But uh, we but we also uh, have a House Senate working group that we have with uh, both both. Uh, members from uh, Republicans, Democrats, uh, outside. But it's very important because across the state of Ohio, there's a lot of areas that we don't have. If you don't have uh, internet, if you don't have the capability of having uh, service out there, it affects not only on the farming side, but also for people that want to have a business out there. So you see people say, you know what, I can't have my business where I want it. I'm going to have to move someplace else. Because we have a lot of areas just that are just not underserved, we have unserved areas. And those are the areas that we really had to look at is getting out and talk with the, and I think that uh, the Chairman Pye, you know, where he comes from in Kansas, understands what unserved areas are. And you can't have these dead areas out there and expect, you know, we, you know I was told the other day about uh, some kids up in North Dakota that actually go to McDonald's in Canada because they can't get wireless at home, so they're actually crossing the border to do their homework. That's, you shouldn't have to do that. So we want to make sure we get, and I just met uh, this week again with, uh, with, the F with, the, on the, with the FCC talking about, we've got to get this developed out into the areas that don't have it. Because if we want to see everybody succeed, this is how it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's about, I mean, I'm, it's about money. 
I mean, ultimately, I, I kind of see the internet and rural broadband. I represent a very rural area of Indiana, and I agree with all the comments my colleagues have made. Um, at the end of the day, I see it almost as getting electricity to, to the farm 100 years ago, getting the telephone out to the farm and all the communities whenever that was, 80 years ago, 100 years ago. At the end of the day, you know, from a business perspective, if you look at the cost of getting rural broadband in any significant way the last mile or two from wherever the loop of connectivity is, that's where a lot of the expense is. And so I think at the, uh, we need to work with the private sector, but, but we're going to have to find, I think, personally, and this may not be popular amongst Republicans, but we're going to have to find federal resources to help help make that happen. That's, I mean, uh, I, just, I just don't see it as a way. It's like the telephone and electricity. You have to have it. You have to have those when they came in. You have to have connectivity. Uh, you know, I have a business right now in my district that's considering moving their headquarters out of Posey County, Indiana, down to Florida, because they don't have the connectivity they need to expand their business in, in southern Indiana. So. Thank you. Um, with that, uh, does the audience have any questions that they'd like to ask our distinguished panel this morning? Yes? Can you talk a little more about uh, 5G 5G and spectrum? Because every time I hear the word spectrum, I, I think somebody's going to get a haircut. It's got to be a challenge. Uh, it is a challenge, and uh, the question is how to uh, balance the equities. And I, I agree with Larry that ultimately, uh, as is true with most issues across my desk, it's a matter of, of funding. And um, we try to strike the right balance. Um, uh, I, I don't want to be overly partisan, but, but I do have concerns that uh, our colleagues on the other side of the aisle um, would strike a different balance, and I do not think that would lead to uh, wiring the whole country, and I think it would uh, stifle, at least to some extent, uh, innovation. Uh, and again, with the working groups that we have in the House and also with our colleagues over in the Senate, it's really finding what, what works best in certain areas. And so, we, it's, it, you know, it's just like going back, you know, some people in this room are not going to remember this, and I hate to suggest that you're going to date yourself. But, you know, we want the federal government out there determining what's best, because sometimes it's best for the out in the community to figure that out. Go back, was it going to be VHS or, or beta? Was it going to be E-track or cassette? And, but, you know, we want to make sure it's that. That was in the... That, that's before you were <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were younger than I am. I remember I read it in a history book. <laughs> but, it's, but it's important that, you know, we, if we're looking at 5G and the deployment that we're looking at and what's going to, how it's going to transform things out there, we have got to make sure we do it right. we got to have make sure, again, when we talk to all these groups and all these individuals who came before us in the IoT working groups and 5G came up, again, it comes back to... We've got to have soft touch regulation, soft touch legislation, <coughs> and make sure that they can go out there and get this thing innovated, get it out there and to the public. Because again, when you're looking at what it's going to do on for self-drive and everything else, it's it's you know it's going to be a huge part of the future that we have to have it. So uh, spectrum, you know, it's one of those things that we you know we were, we've been told through time that different you know bands out there that oh can't get any more out of it. Well, you know, again, they're, they're figuring out ways to squeeze it more and more and more to get more. You know, we asked on the, the military, they could look and find, you know, if you're only using a band maybe one week of the year, what can we get from them? 
you know, first they, they, they didn't do anything, then they came back, yeah, we think we can do something. So it's like we've got to find everything we can out there because again, you know, we've seen the auctions, yeah, you know, the huge auctions about getting more spectrum out there to be used because again, it's it's the future. We gotta have it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, next question from the audience. It can't be that early. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay. Uh, over the court. Okay. Um, your, your cell buyback passed just a huge majority but, in both parties, but uh, the, a similar uh, bill in the Senate here bottled up in Senator Finn's committee. I'm just wondering um, what do you see happening there and the attitudes of the members over there as opposed to in the House with the to economists. You know, when we worked on the legislation, I mean, I'm really proud of it. We passed out a committee 54 to 0. And it was amazing that we passed it with a voice vote on the floor, which which is, you know, it's something like I don't think I ever I might ever see again in my life, something that technical. But I think what it really came down to on the House side, we reached across the aisle and we worked with the Democrats. You know, we worked with industry, we worked with all the parties that came in. I mean, that's that's why we had 300 meetings on that bill. I mean, staff, I think, is pretty much had by the time that bill passed. <laughs> but it's important. I think, you know, I think that we did it right. We got it done. But again, we listened. We listened to industry. We listened to, to everyone out there. And, you know, over, you know, with uh, Senator Thune, you know, they, they, with committee work that they've done over there, but it's getting it moving again over the Senate. But if we, if they don't get this done, and we don't get this passed, this is the this is the problem. You can't have 50 states in the District of Columbia saying what those cars are going to do. Because you can't have a car shut itself off before it crosses the bridge. And it will. It will pull itself off. Because I can't go over there. So, you know, the legislation said pretty much what we've always said here. You know, we have bumper to bumper on the federal side. States can do all the other things that they're doing right now. But we've got to have that preemption out there to make sure that we can move forward. And again, you know, this is that we should be afraid of the technology. And I think some people sell problems here. First of all, those cars right now, you're not going to go out and buy one. They're going to be fleet type vehicles. We have to get them out so they can be tested. And that's a big part of it. And but the other part of it is, is that you know a lot of people don't realize that they've got a lot of levels in their car right now. If you think about going back to the issue of having uh, cruise control in a car. Then so you cars can back themselves into parking. And I watch some people around this town that need that. We <laughs> 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 have a parking, parallel parking car. But then you have cars that you know help self brake. You know, make sure that you know, there's something in the roadway to, to, to brake. Also stay within the lanes. So you're always starting to see cars going up in these levels. And people don't even realize technology is being built in. But as we go up even farther, we just can't have those 50 states. And they're already out there starting to uh, legislate. And if we don't, the United States is going to fall behind the rest of the world. So we want the technology developed here because we're the innovators. I'd just like to follow up on that point. <clears throat> I heard from our trade association that that represents the 60 biggest tech uh, companies in the U.S. that there are 44 different working groups in government that are focused on IoT. And I will tell you from an industry perspective, trying to keep up and influence and make sure that they're doing the right thing is exhausting, but also hugely duplicative. Uh, I'm going to put Congressman uh, Lance on the 
on the hot seat for a second. Um, I know you've tried to address this a little bit. Um, could you talk a little bit about HR 195 and what you're trying to do there and sort of the intent behind that? Uh, the intent is to make the public aware of, of how we have to move forward, and um, uh, I certainly think that uh, we, we need a, a greater awareness. I, might, might I address your question just briefly? Um, um, it is my observation being here 10 years that the Senate operates almost completely differently from the House. <laughs> <laughs> a slight understatement. <laughs> Uh, I have uh, publicly stated that I am opposed to the filibuster, which I suppose is easy for me to say because I'm not in the Senate. I don't think necessarily this issue is related to getting 60 votes, but, but I think that is in the miasma on all issues, number one. Num number two, um, on, on your point, there are 44 groups, you, you say? Uh, there is a new uh, governor in New Jersey. We had a governor's race as well as Virginia. I know everybody in the room <laughs> talks about Virginia. New Jersey had a governor's race as well. And our new governor and a newly elected legislature, overwhelmingly Democratic, is uh, about uh, to consider legislation, which I believe will pass, trying to place in statutory law at the state level in New Jersey uh, uh, Tom Wheeler's net neutrality. It's, it's, it's unconstitutional, in my legal judgment, but uh, this, this is the type of thing that occurs across the board, uh, and um, it's going to become more complicated and uh, more difficult, and on, on the, the driverless car issue, we obviously need a nationwide standard so that there aren't different standards in, in the various jurisdictions, and um, uh, I think this is a significant challenge, and um, I, I sadly predict that my home state uh, on the issue of net neutrality is, is going to pass legislation probably by uh, June 30th. I, I also know that Maryland was looking at doing something very similar, and we think industry has talked them out of it, but um, who knows? I doubt that industry will be able to talk the new governor of New Jersey and our overwhelmingly democratically controlled state legislature out of it. I obviously am a voice on the other side, but I think they're marching in that direction to make a, a political statement as if we don't favor all of us together a free and open internet, but this has been so confused through uh, terms of art like net neutrality. Well, that, that brings up a great question. You know, you mentioned that, you know, bills have passed out of ENC on a very bipartisan basis with all the debate around net neutrality and some of the privacy issues. How do we make sure that IoT doesn't get caught up in that sort of quagmire and stays bipartisan? Well, again, I think it's starting with when uh, we did the working back in the 114th Congress. I think that uh, it, was, it was very, very, I should say, I think I believe that by having members come in to sit in for those meetings and to ask questions for all the, the, the different groups that we had come before us, uh, people really came you know, to a conclusion that members that were there saw that we got to make sure that we don't do a, a heavy, over-regulated type of internet out there or the internet of things, because I should say, back to the internet, but uh, you're getting into the net neutrality, but it's not the internet of things. But 
it's important that we understand that the innovation that's occurring out there, that's so important that we move forward, that all the things that it's touching today, and it's moving so quickly, it's like, how can you set a federal standard and we don't know what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. And again, that's, you know, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek by talking about how things, you know, work between cassette and A-tracks, things like that. But it was, it was the people out there that decided what they wanted. And it's also, we should not, because how can the federal government, again, that's the great thing about being on this committee, looking five to ten years over that horizon, how can we know exactly what it's going to look like? We're not the ones that are developing this. So it's, it's really up to the industry out there to bring forth those, and again, it's like with driverless cars. We don't want to pick the winners and lose with it, who's going to be the one, but we want the, the best to come to the top, and that's what we want to have happen here. We want the best to come to the top, and it's not going to be by heavy-handed federal regulation and legislation that's going to do it. We're talking about the internet things. Great. Thank you. And I think Jim has our final question this morning. Gentlemen, with all the hearings and demonstrations that you've seen in the past few years, looking forward to the next five or ten years, what do you believe will be the most interesting and fascinating innovation that will come out that you've seen or have been talk that you've talked about to different distributors throughout the U.S.? Um, I, I, we'd be very curious to know this. Obviously, I'll focus on healthcare. I think the the ability of us to assess people's ongoing well-being, whether that's your blood sugar level if you're a diabetic, whether that's your your heart rate, if you have an arrhythmia problem, and whether that's how much blood your heart's putting out if you have congestive heart failure, and um, have that monitored in a more consistent basis where physicians and health, other healthcare providers can interact on, you know, and get ahead of impending uh, healthcare crises that might end, make you end up in the hospital, which costs a lot of money. Um, I see in the healthcare space just an infinite opportunity for us to uh, to innovate and advance and make people's lives better. What about uh, the chips being put on medication so that you could monitor either your kids or your parents or or just looking at the whole opioid situation in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a gets into other <coughs> privacy issues and 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 that, and that it's specific. People have talked about, for example, Alzheimer's patients where you could monitor their location and things like that, but. That's a bigger discussion, I, I think, that you have to have on the privacy side, and that's more complicated. Um, but are there, if there are, are ways that we can monitor people's compliance with their medical therapy in a non-privacy-violating you know, way, that would be important, because anybody in healthcare knows about half the people don't take their medicines the way it's prescribed. You know, my, my father-in-law takes his diuretic, his water pill, when he feels like his blood pressure's high. But, and when he does, he doesn't take it when he doesn't think it's high because it makes him go to the bathroom all the time. That's a big example. If you could, you know, if you can interact more in a in a in a way where you could monitor that type of behavior in that way, when they, he comes to the hospital, you know, well, how come their blood pressure really high? Well, they didn't take their medicine, even though most patients say that they did. So, uh, but when you get into monitoring people's, you know, location and and other behavior, that that's a it's dicier, I think. I think we would back to driverless cars. And, uh, you know, it's, I can think about this uh, topic a long time ago. My dad was first elected to Congress in 1958, served through 88. 
And this is back in the days when we'd start school, my sister and I, back home, and dad finds a place to live for five months down here, and then we'd pound the pavement maybe twice a month driving back to Ohio on the weekends. And I can remember as a kid on the Pennsylvania Ohio Turnpike when I was five or six years of age, thinking to myself, it'd be great if dad could just fall asleep in the car. We get to, to the east gate of Ohio, you just wake up, pay the toll, we get on the Pennsylvania, drive 161 miles, I had these things down. <laughs> and then get off, and then they, they had to, before there were any uh, interstate roads, you'd have to ride through the mountains to get you know, to D.C. then, and I thought, well, that would be incredible. Well, we're at that stage today. But, you know, when you're talking about issues about drugs and opioids, you know, when you think about, again, that when you look at 94% of the accidents that occur on the road today are because of driver error, more people are dying now because of opioid and drugs than they are of drunk driving. So all of a sudden, if you can take that off the table, and that 37,000 people that are dying every year, and reduce that dramatically, and then you think about all of the accidents that would be averted, you think about the energy that would be saved, because people, you know, the stop, stop, start, stop, start. It's not vehicles be flowing all together. Did I even thought back then? I was actually, you know what? I was ahead of my time back then. I thought about this as a kid. Dad's if we get on something and we go 70 miles an hour across the turnpike, you know, we'd be blocking the ways, so you just go get across it. But we're there today. And uh, you know, I've driven in two uh, driverless cars. The one was on a, was like on a figure eight, the other one was on 395. Now that was more of a change. <laughs> I got we got I got in the, the passenger seat. Up front, I think there was a brake on there, and I thought to myself, I wish I had that brake when I taught my kids how to drive. <laughs> but uh, we got out there, and you know, I said, now what happens when we, we get across the bridge and you put it on auto, auto mode, and when cars are wanting to merge, he said, well, just watch. So we're driving along, and we're driving 50 plus, and, all, and sure enough, the car's coming down a ramp. There's a car in the uh, lane next to us, we couldn't get over, so the car just slowed down and let that car in. Next, next ramp we came up to, there's not a car on the other way, so it can move over. So traffic would keep moving. So when you think about all of the things that this can do, and you're talking about a $950 billion industry in the United States today, today and the tens of thousands of jobs, but I don't get it on the safety side and on the accident prevention side, what we can do, and it's, and it's gonna tie into everything then. So I, I have to say with uh, Charles people. Uh, thank you, my answer is I don't know. And this has been true for innovation over the last quarter of a century. Uh, who would have thought uh, 25 years ago we are where we are now? I have no idea where we will be 10 years from now, let alone 25 years from now. I think healthcare is important. My own view is that higher education will be revolutionized by this, given the tremendously expensive cost of higher education. I don't think that is at the forefront of the discussion at the moment, but I think it's likely to become so. But my real answer to you, Jim, is that uh, I do not know because of the innovative mind of, of the American people, the genius of the American people, but I am confident that it is our responsibility working together, distinguished business leaders in this room, to make sure that the United States is at the forefront of all of this. Thank you for having me, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Gentlemen, thank you all so much for being with us.